Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and with me today are Adam Hammett and Aaron Cook. Aaron and Adam and I will be discussing the most recent sermon here at Grace Baptist Church, that being from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. So Adam, Aaron, thanks for joining me today and coming to discuss this really exciting passage. Yeah, it's a joy to be here. Yeah, for sure. Well, you sound real excited. Yeah. Well, let's let's amp it up here a little bit. Now, this has been a key passage of Scripture for me for nearly 40 years now. I remember uh, that first year in college being introduced to this passage and saying, wow, this is, this is really cool. And word for word, I'd say it's one of the deeper doctrinal discussions that God's given us. While at the same time, as we were talking here before we went to the microphones, it's one of the more practical Christian life guides that we have throughout Scripture. Do either of you remember where you first interacted with this text? Uh, I do, actually. Um, I, I remember thinking most deeply about it when I went through J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. He has a chapter on God incarnate. I don't remember what the chapter number is, but I do remember the title being God incarnate and him laying out specifically the fact that um, all the miracles in the Bible are pretty amazing. And there's something about them that can be stumbling blocks to unbelievers or people of other faiths. But really, the one miracle that kind of sits at the center of everything is the fact that God, in the form of the Eternal Son, took on flesh and came, and that is the most remarkable miracle that could be possibly conceived of. Uh, And I think in the chapter, he actually quotes the hymn writer Charles Wesley. Uh, There's a couple of lines where he says, God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. And really all of the other miracles of Jesus' ministry, if God became flesh and dwelt among us, it's it's really not that surprising <laughs> that all of those other miracles would, would occur. How could God stay dead? <laughs> He's going to rise. Uh, the mystery is how he was able to die, really, in his human nature at all. So that was really the first time for me. I don't know about you, Aaron. Yeah, I don't know if I remember exactly the first time, but I know for sure that this is uh, the book of Philippians was a favorite of mine to go over in uh, at camp at Coyote Hills. And it, it just it, it made for a good format for a week. But it was also and, and we talk about the depth and beauty and the amazing reality that that God became flesh and yet he came down for us to know him. And even a child um, Mm -hmm. can understand these realities, of course, at different levels, but that God came near to make himself known to us is just staggering. Mm. Well, guys, Tim Cockrell, he preached this uh, passage on Sunday and he opened with this statement. He said, my humility is a measure of God's moving in my life. I don't know about you two, but he could have stopped right there and didn't have to say any more. It was really impactful for me. What do you get out of that statement? Yeah. Wow. Uh, to that, that really does take a lifetime to, to play out and apply in my life. But 
I definitely, my heart resonates with that. I think when I'm, um, the, the level of humility, the measure of humility in my life is an evidence that I am really resting in this righteous standing that I have that has been imputed to me because of Christ. And, and therefore, then it starts freeing me to not primarily love myself first, but to love others. And I, I don't have to grasp after this, this, these ideas that I think I deserve something. And uh, when I'm overwhelmed by the infinite blessing I know that I have in Christ and the difference between what I have and what I actually deserve, it, it settles my anxious prone heart mm. and uh, what what it, and that brings about joy for mm. sure and, and restfulness yeah um, I mean I think Tim mentioned the passage from second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 where it says for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich and by the way that's rich beyond anything mm. we could even imagine <laughs> yeah. mm. Yet for your sake, he became poor. And I think it's poor, poorer and more lowly than we could really comprehend so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I mean, that example of infinite condescension on our behalf so that he could do what only he could do on our behalf so that we might be called sons of God. I mean, that is that is humbling and it. It causes me to, to want to just serve in the way that he modeled for us. And, uh, and yeah, that was, that was a remarkable statement that Tim made, and it's something that we could spend a lifetime unpacking. Well, I have spent a couple of days unpacking it, I know, uh, from personal experience here. So let, let's move into verse 5. Uh, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I I say it here on occasion to my, from the microphone. I say it in my adult Bible fellowship every Sunday or, or regularly on Sundays. But in order to understand how we're to live, we do need to have a proper understanding of good biblical doctrine, correct biblical doctrine. How does this particular sentence, the doctrine involved in it, how does it help us to live righteously? How does it, how does it instruct us? Well, it's a... That's a good question. Um, <laughs> whenever you start to talk about, you know, God not kind of grasping for what was rightfully his and kind of thinking through what's all implied there, it's, it's pretty easy to start thinking incorrectly about God himself and what actually was going on there. And uh, there has been a lot of wrong thinking that has been espoused along these lines. But ultimately, it just, I think the, what the weight of it is, is that we just really can't comprehend what the Lord set aside in terms of his divine privilege and glory in order to do what we could never have done. And that is profound in and of itself. Now, I mean, we'll, we'll probably get into the details of what that meant precisely here in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to ask Aaron to jump into that. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, Aaron, if you had any thoughts on that in particular. Well, I, I think it, it also is relevant culturally in this time and space where we think we 
deserve all the understanding and if I can't fully wrap my finite mind around something, there must be something wrong with it. And by the way, it's not something wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, God loves faith. Apart from faith, it's uh, impossible to please God. Now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't really work rigor- rigorously to understand God, but there there are some, in in fact in the in the next passage we're we're going to be getting into this idea that we're that that it's God working in us this salvation mm-hmm. that we're called to at the same time work out mm-hmm. and how how can those two things both at the same time be true well there there's tension there and, and that that's okay that's good mm-hmm. um, that shouldn't cause us to be lazy at all but but tension is okay. Well, let's hit one of those tensions. Uh, verse 7 says, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself and, and moving forward. But let's take that first part of verse 7. Tim pointed out there are other views throughout Christendom that are at odds with what we believe this passage uh, says. Uh, for example, some might see this as saying that Jesus hid or abandoned at least part of the of his deity. When we're exposed to opposing views on a passage or uh, views that have that tension, uh, can you share some of the steps that maybe you take to sort them out? So when we're studying scripture and it's not clear, there may be two or three different competing views of what that scripture passage might say. How do we go to that and how do we work through that as believers, as people who are seeking the truth of God? Well, first of all, we don't uh, just quickly look for pat answers, and 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 we're, we live in a world that loves everything my way right away, and some of the greatest understanding comes from sitting and thinking and contemplating. I think I think first of all, we want to get the foundation right, and so we let the Bible speak for itself. And so I, I would firstly, the passages that I thought about going to is first of all um, Colossians 1 15 uh, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and un- invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and him in him all things hold together Christ and he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty clear about who Christ is. What We can at least know what this cannot mean. He, he, he never in any way was diminished in his deity. He was was and always and forever will be God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a first place I would look to sort of build the building blocks. Maybe Hebrews chapter one would be another place. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're talking about proving scripture with scripture. Scripture yeah. will not contradict itself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually had turned to Hebrews one as a follow up to what Aaron was saying. Mm-hmm. Again, just these few verses long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe, the universe, by the word of his power. 
And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I don't know of a passage that more clearly explicates who Christ is and that he did not set aside his deity. And I I think that uh, what Tim was saying was exactly right, kind of the taking up of humanity into deity, a human nature. Uh, You know, Athanasius in the fourth century uh, the great defender of the Trinity, you know, helped craft the Athanasian Creed. And in it, it says, Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man, perfect God and perfect man, who although he be God and man, yet he is not two, but one Christ, one not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by taking of the manhood into God. And uh, that's something that we confess together and that Scripture supports, and uh, and we better not say anything less than that. And just to close that up, what Tim was saying was that he didn't he didn't get rid of his deity, but he did take on humanity, yeah. and he gave up his privileges mm-hmm. that were, that were attendant to his being Lord of Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's move on to verse eight, and I know we're kind of flying through this, but I do want to get to some practical applications here. Verse eight gets to the point in the latter part of verse seven as well, to the point of Jesus humbling himself. And, and I think those words are important, aren't they? It wasn't only that he was humble, and we often think of humbling as a passive exercise. We were humbled is often what we say, but he actually humbled himself. Mm-hmm. How important is that? Wow. Yeah. And even as we start to approach, like, how does this work itself out in my life? Even just the reading of these texts and and, uh, uh, rehearsing these creeds. I don't know about you guys, but my heart is stirred towards wonder and thanks and adoration. Just reading and pondering these texts ought to stir in us something and and it certainly shouldn't make us feel big or powerful <laughs> this, this is we we ought to feel appropriately small and uh yeah there there are ways that we can put ourselves under this and and then ask god god would you take your word and and align my heart with it May I respond rightly and appropriately uh, to your word. And I think there are some, definitely some practical things that we can aid ourselves in putting our, ourselves under the waterfall of, of his truth. Yeah. Aaron, there was, a, there was uh, some helpful material that was uh, sent out to Adult Bible Fellowship leaders here last week in preparation for Sunday's lesson. And there was an illustration. You reference it there by what you said. I don't know if you even knew that you were referencing this, but the illustration of the author of this article standing at the mouth or the lip of the Grand Canyon and looking out over the expanse. I've never been there, but I can, and I want to go there someday. But the idea was, he said, I felt so small. Mm -hmm. I was swallowed up in this, but I felt so big because even though I was small in comparison with the geographic and the physical expanse of it, I felt so big because I am a son, a mm. child of mm. the one who made this. Mm. Yeah. So small and so big at the same time. Yeah, yeah. 
while you while you guys were talking just now, just about the active humbling of himself, I thought of Isaiah fifty three, and I was just kind of reading through this, and it says uh, starting in verse two, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He's no Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> or Adam Hammett. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Hmm. And surely he has actively borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced not for his iniquities, but mm. for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Um, if ever there's an example of someone who truly humbled themselves, it's, it's Christ, and uh, we'd, we'd better learn from that. Mm, it makes me think of Second Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Mm. So if that doesn't humble us and at the same time we're overwhelmed with gratitude, I don't know what can because mm -hmm. of the, the infinite debt that we deserved and owed and yet in exchange we get infinite good mm -hmm. because of Christ. Yeah. Well, let's, let's move to some of the <clears throat> practical applications of this passage excuse me and some of the the charge that this gives to us uh, implicitly to humble ourselves one of our goals today is to take some time to discuss that whole idea of humbling ourselves at its root this concept speaks really directly to the idea of discipline and so i want to go through and just share some examples of you gentlemen how do you regularly go through this matter and develop this this whole discipline of humbling oneself and let's make sure we acknowledge up front one can't do this without the filling of the holy spirit without the power of the holy spirit yeah that's right yeah i was thinking about this question and i <laughs> i think it means first of all that i can never consider myself to be above any task that there isn't a in a any specific task, be it in the home or in the church, that I think, you know what, that's sort of beneath me at this point. Somebody else needs to take that on. It means that I actively look to do things that need to be done, however lowly we as men sort of consider them to be. You know, um, some, does somebody need to clean the toilets? I'm willing to do that. Does someone, I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't help but think of my brother, uh, Byron Shear, my next door neighbor, and the fact that, you know, when he resigned his pastoral position here, that's literally what he did. And he did it gladly for this church to provide for his family, and he was happy to have that. He went from pastor, it. literally, to janitor. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so, so nothing is beneath us as church leaders, as fathers, as, you know, people who are advancing in careers. We need to be willing to live by example and to actually do things that that seem as small or insignificant. So, And I, I think um, we can maybe get to some of the practical applications to how do I, how do I help getting my, my mind in that direction? But, but I do think some of these results, I was thinking of some other results that, 
that if this is increasing in my life, I, I know I'm by God's grace heading in the right direction. And one of the things I realized is certain things I don't have to do. I'm freed from, I'm actually freed from grasping after recognition, even if I think I deserve it. Like I do, I don't have to be recognized or acknowledged, which man, that's hard. Cause I've, unfortunately I really enjoy the applause of men. Hmm. And that's, that's sobering. Don't we all? Yeah. Yeah. But our, but my validity doesn't rest there. Mm. It rests in Christ. And then I can be free to center my life around stirring others, joy and progress in the faith that, that Paul talks about at, in, at the end of uh, chapter one. Um, and, and I don't have to be centering my life on my own desires and, and making sure I get what I want. And, and the secret to that comes later on in chapter four, verse one, you, you see the outpouring of joy that has resulted in Paul's life as a result of his, him pouring himself out for the joy and progress of others. He says, my beloved, my brothers, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the faith, mm -hmm. dearly beloved. Yeah. And and you can't tell me that Paul didn't richly benefit uh, from from that, but it wasn't a pining after and a grasping after. And I, I think that's a way that we can resemble the Lord Jesus. Yeah. And Aaron, you speak of Paul. <clears throat> Paul dealt with this as well. Paul struggled with this. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, Romans 7, he, he keeps talking <laughs> yeah. about, hey, the things I wanted to do or want to do, I don't do. Uh -huh. The things I want to do i don't do and vice it goes back and forth and he says wretched man that i am he said what's wrong with me he knows what's wrong it's a uh, he knows that he needs to just continue to allow the spirit to guide and to fill and to lead him but it's a day by day task it's not a once and done yeah. And I think even in that text there in Romans chapter seven, he, he was instructive in the way that he, he instructed his heart because he talked at, at his inner being. He mm -hmm. didn't want to do that, though his members, his outward members do the sin. Mm -hmm. So he was reminding himself at his inner being who his identity was. And then, of course, we know that beautiful passage in chapter eight, verse one, mm -hmm. therefore is now no condemnation for right. those who are in Christ Jesus. He reminded yeah. himself of who he was because of what Christ has done. And that canceled the power of sin, but also gave him the, the, the power to conquer his sin. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, there was one passage that I couldn't help but uh, think of from this chapter I was mentioning in God incarnate by J.I. Packer, where he talks about how we ought to respond. And I have a couple paragraphs here I'll read. He says at the very end of that chapter, we talk glibly of the Christmas spirit, rarely meaning more by this than sentimental jollity on a family basis. But what we have said makes it clear that the phrase should in fact carry a tremendous weight of meaning. It ought to mean the reproducing in human lives of the temper of him for who for our sakes became poor at the first Christmas. And the Christmas spirit itself ought to be the mark of every Christian all the year round. It is our shame and disgrace today that so many Christians, I will say more specific, so many of the soundest and most orthodox Christians, go through this world in the spirit of the priest and the Levite in our Lord's parable, 
seeing human needs all around them, but after a pious wish and perhaps a prayer that God might meet those needs, averting their eyes and passing by on the other side. That is not the Christmas spirit, nor is it the spirit of those Christians, alas, they are many, whose ambition in life seems limited to building a nice middle-class Christian home, making nice middle-class Christian friends, bringing up their children in nice middle-class Christian ways, and who leave the sub-middle-class sections of the community, Christian and non-Christian, to get on by themselves. The Christmas spirit does not shine out in the Christian snob, Christian snob, for the Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like their master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent to enrich their fellow humans, giving time, trouble, care, and concern to do good to others, and not just their own friends, in whatever way there seems need. If you're still feeling pretty good about your Christian life and how you're living it, <clears throat> hit rewind about 30 or 45 seconds. Re listen to that again. Great stuff. Aaron, I'm going to ask you, you, uh, you and I were talking before we went to the microphones about some practical steps that any of us can take just to sort of remind ourselves that we are called to be humble. And what, what are some things that we can do, practically speaking, everyday life? Yeah, for sure. Well, we definitely need to come back to the word daily and reflect on passages that like this that we've mentioned, uh, Colossians chapter one, Hebrews chapter one, Isaiah 53. We need to read these and reread these and read them until they begin to read us. Mm -hmm. And then at, at that moment, and, and maybe even before we read, plead with God to change our hearts and align them with him. And maybe even put your body in a posture that you want your heart to be. There's something yeah. beautiful about putting our body in that sort of a posture. I think, um, uh, and then as we meditate on God's word and ask him to change our hearts, then this outward facing intersection intercession, seeking to pray the sorts of prayers that, that Paul prays for his, um, in, in one verse nine, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more mm. with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Are, are we specifically and regularly asking these sorts of things to happen in the lives of our dear friends? Friends, as we do that, God will posture our heart appropriately. And then maybe one more, as we think of interacting with others, and this is having this others-focused, putting others' needs above our own, which we see right here in the text, the, having others-centered conversation. Mm. As, mm. as we talk with individuals, we... We don't want to just share everything about ourselves and leave. Let's think about questions that can that can have a, a focus on others and, and realizing that I don't have to get the last word, but then let's go a step further. Let's think about how can I point out traces of grace in other people's lives? Because one of the main reasons we need to come together is for the edification, the encouragement, the building up. And so often others can't see that in their lives. So if we start looking for traces of God's grace in others, people's lives, 
it's really hard to be arrogant and prideful at that same moment. So those are just a, a couple things that we can do to hopefully cultivate. And then, um, uh, we, we pray that by God's grace, he, he might um, bring about this sort of appropriate small thinking of ourselves and high thinking of God. Mm-hmm. One, of the, uh, one of the books that comes to my mind, there's two things that come to my mind. Number one, a book that I received back in 1986, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster. Sure. Classic, classic book dealing with how we can train our minds, train our bodies even, to do this, to be in humility before God. Things like uh, posture as we're praying or worshiping. Our body can lead our minds often, but also doing things like what you're talking about, focusing on others, uh, praying specifically for others' needs, and, and so forth. Then there's there's another book, if you're listening to this uh, in, uh, say, the week or two following this sermon here in February of 2023, we'd encourage you here at Grace Baptist Church, we have a number of, uh, a number of copies of Tim Keller's book, a very small book. Uh, it's called A Punchy book in the uh, in the notes but uh, the freedom of self-forgetfulness the path to true christian joy tim keller is a, a leader uh, in christendom uh, evangelical christianity uh, he's one of our presbyterian brothers and i love reading his stuff but uh, he the question what are the marks of a supernaturally changed heart and uh, this little book is available in the welcome center and uh, you can pick that up here in the next week or two but we'd encourage you to do that Adam and Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. We have been digging deeper here with Adam Hammett and Aaron Cook. And you can access Grace Sermons and podcast episodes on demand by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking the Media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. Plan to join us next time. We'll be continuing our discussion of God's Word, more practical application in Philippians chapter 2. And until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.